Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket. Such a pleasure to have you joining us here once again. Today, I have the privilege of being with two outstanding leaders in healthcare, and I want to introduce them to you. First, I want to introduce you to James Kugler, who serves as the Chief Digital Officer of Merck KGAA Darmstadt, Germany, and CEO of EMD Digital, a subsidiary of Merck KGAA. At the age of 26, James led what would become a transformational process for Sigma Aldrich, culminating in the creation of the largest e-commerce platform in the life sciences industry, generating more than $1 billion in annual revenue, and serving as a catalyst for the acquisition of Sigma Aldrich's by Merck KGAA in 2015 for $17 billion. We also are joined by Carl Bate, who is the founder and CEO of Avidium. Avidium is an AI company building responsible, reliable, and referenceable AI for healthcare. Avidium's mission is to maximize the impact of medical knowledge and bring trustworthy AI benefits across the health system. And it's fascinating to have them here specific to the, the topics of health outcomes and accelerating research. James, Carl, welcome to the podcast, guys. So great to have you here. Thank you. Great. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, great to be here. Awesome. Yeah. And look, we're going to have a great discussion around the work you guys do together and cover a lot of really great things. Before we do that, though, I'd love to get a better understanding of what is it that inspires your work in healthcare. Carl, you want me to k kick off here? It's oh, so we're, we're, Carl and I get a good vibe when we're together and, and in the same room. So this is a little uh, li little bit at a distance, but I'm happy to, to kick off. I, I think for me, very simply, what inspires me is how do we make science faster? What are the things that we can do, the, the little levers that we can push from a technology side to make uh, science scientists work easier and, and that overall process faster? The, the thing that drives me the most nuts is uh, as a kid, you know, you go to school and, and you start thinking about doing science and they tell you that the thing you need to do is be very, very patient. And so much that the time spent by scientists is not time that is really human added, right? That, that is creating a lot of value. And so how we can come up with ways to make scientists' lives easier and, and improve that process overall really, really gets me going. I love that. Love that, James. Thanks for sharing. Carl? Yeah. And yeah, and for me, it was really a kind of a personal journey that's led me onto a more kind of system level journey. But both my kids went through diagnostic odysseys through 2015 through 2019. And had we not found solutions, they would have ended up with severely life-changing consequences. And at the time I was leading a kind of a, a, a very nascent AI group for a consultancy and doing this thing called digital health. And I was like, how can we have all this technology and all this knowledge and all these brilliant physicians and researchers and still make fundamental errors? And so that really got me curious as to how do we distribute knowledge in healthcare? How, what is it, all the pressures on the experts we each rely on day in, day out? And also, how can we really facilitate back to research to, to, to speed the science? And one of the things that I realized becoming a kind of a, a super user of the healthcare system was, I, I don't think it's a fair fight today. Like we, we expect so much of the tremendous efforts of our medical professionals. And really we want to, we want to even balance, balance that out. So for me, the inspiration really is bringing that knowledge into the, the moment where the expert can most benefit from it, but really supporting that. That's fantastic, Carl. Thanks for, for sharing that. And it's about moving faster, making it easier. And it's innovators like you guys that that we need in the space to accelerate. 
So let's just dig in. What are your companies and organizations doing to add value to the healthcare ecosystem today? So we, we have two two sides that are coming together here. So I'll give a bit of a perspective on the centropy portion of it and let Carl dig in with, with what's happening on the Avidium side because they're super complementary pieces. So Centropy is a technology company that specializes in healthcare data governance, harmonization, and collaboration solutions aimed at unlocking the value of real-world data. And when I say unlocking the value of, of data, what do I mean by this? If you want to really realize the value of data, four things need to happen. One, you need to have data, right? Two, it needs to be structured and usable. Third, you can apply some like basic to advanced analytic to generate an insight. And fourth, someone needs to, to act on that insight. On the Syntropy side, we're really focused on kind of the least sexy parts of this, right? How do we make that data structured and usable for the institutions that have it? And whereas most players in, in the space offer a software service in exchange for data ownership, we, we do the opposite. We own no data whatsoever. It's all uh, owned by the original holders of it uh, and governed by the, the patient consent at the source. In a lot of ways, I, I view what we're doing as like ushering in an age of, of information curation overall. And uh, what I mean uh, by information curation is how do you provide like transparency to analysis, traceability to source, verification of source systems? Because if you can provide that traceability and transparency back, you can have collaboration between parties without necessarily needing to surface all the information, but you can have an auditable track back and trust that the person that you're working with, the lineage of this information. The reason this is critical is because I, I view us as having gone through a couple of waves and being right at the start of something pretty, pretty massive uh, today. If, if I look, the first wave was really this wave of information distribution. So if we look from three on, we've had information distribution becoming infinitely fast and infinitely free. Infinitely fast in the sense that from 1983 to today, uh, the average internet bandwidth has actually increased by 50% every year. So it's just about, I think, 10% or so less than Moore's Law. From 2008 to 2018, we also had a 92% decline in the cost of transmission of a megabit. And this led to huge uptake in terms of the number of people that were actually connected, right? So we go from zero to over four, four and a half billion people during this time horizon. Starting in about 2010, we started entering a second wave. And I view it as like the information curation wave. And this really came about with the advent of online marketing, right? Uh, so I, I can advertise and suddenly I have a mechanism of monetizing content that I put on the web and I make available more globally. Uh, and, and if you look from 2010 on, I think you had about $26 billion or so in online ad spend in the US, up to $209 billion by 2022. Uh, you also went from like two uh, zettabytes of information created, captured, copied, consumed in 2010 to over 100 in 2022. And it's just this massive uh, increase in, in the volume of information that's traveling around. During the same time, though, we had this incredible increase in the computational capacity of the greatest supercomputers. And we also had this remarkable decrease in cost of uh, price per performance, so GPU performance during this time. So when we take tons of publicly available content, we have tons of computational capacity. Behind it, we start getting the large language model, which is where we are today. And this makes that second wave unnerving, right? Because now information creation is actually also becoming infinitely fast and infinitely free. And if we have mechanisms of just generating huge amounts of information, this creates kind of existential problems in terms of the, the LLM overall, because training LLMs on outputs of LLMs kind of creates some model collapse. But it, it also really requires us to understand 
where does information come from and prevent kind of an erosion of, of trust that can very easily occur mm -hmm. when you combine information distribution with information creation at this scale. And so I view there being this existential need in the coming years uh, and where we are today to have mechanisms of traceability and transparency back to source so that we can start creating things that, that we can trust and use in existentially critical applications such as healthcare. Yeah, great call outs, uh, James. Carl, you were about to comment on that as well, please. Yeah, I love it. So that's one of the things that's really exciting is about working with James and the EM the Century team. So the way that we conceive healthcare and kind of foundational technology enablers is we've got like one thing that everyone has and we think two things that are missing right now in the context that James outlined. So everyone's got a system of record, right? the electronic health record. And we know the limitations and we know some of the enablers that that brings, but we see two missing pieces. The first is this system of curation that James describes, this system of information management or system of data. And then the second piece is the piece that we're focused on at Ividium. Let's call it a system of knowledge. It's okay, so how do I take this curated information? How can I bring that into the moment of the encounter? And how can I use the encounter to furnish the knowledge back to research. And really that's what we're focused on at Evidium. And the way that we see it is healthcare runs on evidence and explainability. And we really need the knowledge that healthcare runs on to do the same thing and the AI to do the same thing. And that's really what our platform is designed. That's fantastic. It's a great combination. And yeah, that, that traceability is certainly at the forefront of this, so important. So as you guys do your work, what you do different and better than what's out there? And how can we prepare for some of these inevitables? On the Syntropy side of it, it's really getting back to the basics of like, it takes work to go from source health record system to actual like a, a patient object that we can start doing things with. And it's a lot of time, right? That, that is taken by people to be able to do that and to build this in a robust way that works. And, and so I, I don't think there's anything magic that's there. It's really, how do we do this in the right way with the right governance, with the right kind of ethical boundaries that are set up um, it, such that we can really empower these institutions to do what they do and allow folks like Carl and the Avidium team to be able to come and build these solutions on top that are, that are taking this another step forward with very clear reference and traceability back. Yeah, and talk about, from my perspective, the things that we are bringing out there now with our pilots that's getting a, a lot of excitement is we really see a future where it's beyond LLMs, right? It's AI that is multi-model not just multimodal, where we combine the benefits of LLMs, but a whole set of other AI that both exists and that will be coming on this foundation that James outlines. And the way that I like to think of it is we have an LLM and all of the knowledge in the LLM, fundamentally, its representation is on next word prediction. And these next word predictions have been based on literally billions of words. That's how they start out. And when we've got that model, we then have hundreds of thousands of human beings training a model trained on billions of words that we don't have observability on to get the model to behave as we want. Well, I don't know who those 100,000 people are. Maybe they're amazing experts, or maybe they're having a bad day and they're not really focused on giving the answer that the, the reinforcement learning um, requires. And then we bring those models into the context of a high stake setting. So I want to be really clear. We love large language models. We combine large language models. But for us, the, the value we bring is this kind of more rounded perspective of how to use the right components of technology in the right way. And from our perspective, we represent knowledge more ontologically. It's more structured. We know exactly where the knowledge comes from, and we can ground the AI in using that knowledge. And that's super important because 
that brings the explainability and that helps distribute the evidence to folks that need it. Thank you for that, guys. And yeah, it's so essentially with the way that you're doing it, you're, the knowledge piece is very much specific, I guess a specific LLM base if I'm saying it correctly, that that does is not open to a lot of stuff that's out there. It's basically very focused on traceable sources. Yeah, I would say the way to visualize it is we use an LLM as an interface, right? So I can have a conversation with the knowledge, but the actual knowledge itself it. is structured. It's all the concepts are ontologically linked and they're based on these curated data sources that James outlines. That's very different to a language model that's pointing at a set of documents that are vectorized. And I'm with you. So that, that means that as a health system, right, you've got like, I can control it. Like, hey, what happens when the guideline changes today, right? How do we know that one element that could be really critical for that one patient in front of the physician has been changed, has been changed. So it's super important to us to have the traceability and the grounding of these powerful technologies, including LLMs on this kind of fundamental referenceable basis. And, and that's really what, that, that's really what our innovation is bringing that to. Got it. Thank you, Carl. In the mechanism of correction, right? Like right. when something, like as these things change, we don't know everything, right? That we're learning. But science is a, a state of, of continual progress. Mm -hmm. Right. And science so is how a, we're yeah. able to, yeah, how we yeah. take those elements that adjust and feed that back through the system is just critical. Is that with things like they talk about hallucinations that could potentially occur? Is that what you're talking about? Oh, yeah. Addressing? So, yeah. So basically we actually solve. So the way we solve hallucinations is to, rather than the large language model, only be, only rely upon its internal weights, which aren't very reliable, or indeed pointing at large waves of content in documents. We actually have the language model utilize this structure knowledge. And that serves two purposes. One, we can address hallucinations because we actually have the knowledge that the model is guided to, to, to use. But two other things open up, things like planning, reasoning. We can actually use this knowledge in a far more structured mm. and reliable way to consider, hey, what might be the next best action for this particular patient based on structured knowledge, known prevalences, known, known impacts. And so this is field of AI that's called neurosymbolic AI. And it really is designed to combine the best of neural networks with more, it's called good old fashioned AI, where it's symbolic, it's traceable. And you put those two pieces together, I think you can get some real power into the, into the That's brilliant. Hey, it's great that you guys are thinking about this, making it usable right. for the healthcare audience that listens to us. So folks, I'm sure you're excited to hear this conversation and thinking, wow, what's going to be possible for me and my organization? James and Carl are thinking about it and their organizations that they're at the helm of, they're focused on this. So as you think about some of the, the biggest setbacks that you've experienced that have gotten you to this point, what's a key learning that's come from those? Because these things don't come easy. I, I was thinking about this question, all right, and I was thinking there's kind of two ways to answer that. One is from trying to get a company off the ground, and one is purely on the technology question. And if, I think it's important to share setbacks, yeah. so I'm going to share both. Let's do it. Right? Let's do it. But the first thing was when I had the original concept for a, a, a video, it was all around what if we conceive healthcare more like a game of chess, right? So the patient state is quantized, the moves are known. And at the time, I was so excited. Wow, we can really see how we can make a difference. And so I, I, I built this pitch deck. It's horrendous. I've got it for prosperity, but it's literally the worst pitch deck. It doesn't follow any of the rules. And I pitched it ultimately to the strategic investor that became our that seed investor. Awesome. Uh, investor, but literally like 10 months after they told me oh, no. Oh, that's awesome. And I was like, good in, man. I was like, we got to get on with this thing. And what it told me was, okay, 
So you might have some ideas, but you've literally, the only way through it is to go build out, is to have this, to put the effort in, to do this with equity, to find that really show me, not just tell me. So that, that was a real, a real kind of lesson for me, which inspires the work. That's thing one. And then thing two is the other takeaway I will tell you, and James, I'm sure will back this up is there are no shortcuts. So we had to prepare a demo during our seat, our, our seat stage. We were using some kind of funky AI tools to literally minimize the amount of human work. Small team of seven, seven souls working on this thing. And we try to do shortcuts and use all kinds of things. And the demo was fine, but the fundamental architecture was awful. And we had to rebuild. <sighs> and again, it's like we knew the right answer and we did it just for demo. We would never do that sure, with an sure. actual customer, but very early in our stage. And again, it just, the, these two lessons remind me that it's about tell me, not show me. And it really is about, you've got to do the work. You have to get, we have this phrase that like, almost like more physics, less engineering. It's like, you've got to get, you've got to put the fundamentals in. And there's just, there are just zero shortcuts. Love that. So those are my I two. I love those, Carl. Those are my no, two that's great. Yeah. I love the entrepreneurial one. Yeah. I love the tech one. Both of them. <laughs> I mean, you just like. Get... Yeah. And you'll learn, you learn a lot. It, it, it sounds great now, but man, there were some dark <laughs> days. And you just got to, and there's a lot of, you get a lot of help, actually. I would say you get a lot of help. Like people have been through this process. It's a well-trodden path and a lot of support really to help you focus on, okay, the obstacle is the way, right? It's like, okay, there's a setback today, but use that to really progress to the next stage. Love that. Appreciate you sharing those, Carl. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. How about you, James? Yeah. Just build on Carl's second here. Like, so I spent my career really helping. How do we enable scientists overall? And Sigma Alderets, we were serving all scientists with whatever they needed to do their experiments. We built some pretty amazing data science capabilities in the process of that, that we were excited to see what we could do in the healthcare space after the acquisition by Merck, TGA, and in 2014. And I think the most humbling experience we had was when we started trying to do some data science work for patient stratification overall. And we said, let's just see why some patients are responding and others aren't. We're going to throw our uh, crack team of data scientists on this and throw some ML models at this and, and get some pretty, pretty cool results. Only to be like, fairly humbled by the the size of the data sets that actually had that depth. We have 23,000 plus genes. If it's a combination of 10 that are somehow contributing to this, we have like one times 10 to the 43rd combinations. And we have like 18 patients with which you have that like Im immense depth of data on them that you could actually do some analysis with it. And it was truly humbling to, to just take a step back and be like, wait a minute, is there any institution in the world that has enough patient data at enough depth that you could really, truly start solving some of these critical problems at some level of statistical significance? And the answer was no. At the end of the day, that was where Syntropy started, was trying to figure out some way that we can come up with the right structure that you could start assembling these assets that are constantly changing and constantly growing and in doing it in a way that is still providing patient control over how that information is being used as well as the institutionals, the institution's ability to use it themselves and also control it without having to, to give it up or make some kind of deal that, that seems a bit weird mm -hmm. outside of online marketing. Yeah. And that's been a big hang up on a lot of these software data plays, right? They, the companies try to take the data. You guys aren't doing that. No, absolutely no, not. it's, this is patient data is very different than clickstream data. And we, we have a very strong aversion to, to treating it in any way that, that is similar to that. Before we even started Syntropy, we built a digital ethics advisory board that, that still advises us in everything that we do and the approach that we take kind of moving forward. And our push is to do the right thing 
it's hard to solve these problems. It's hard to get these things done, but we have a long time horizon on this and we're really focused on doing it the right That's way. That's awesome. Hey, really great to, to learn from you guys on your journeys. We learn more from our mistakes and, and challenges than the successes most of the time. So really appreciate you guys sharing those. Look, we're here at the end. It's exciting, right? You guys have left us just imagining what the future of healthcare can be with the work that you guys are doing. Why don't you leave us with a closing thought and the best place that the listeners could reach out to you and get more information on the work that both of your organizations are doing? For sure. So for me, the closing thought is, I would say that we know that knowledge is power and we're entering this AI era and there's almost two paths we see ahead of us. Is it AI that fundamentally promotes knowledge and improves knowledge as a verb and the science? Or is it AI that we just literally throw in all of the crap that we have today? Actually, we don't have probably a lot of good stuff out there, but literally, is it, does it fundamentally help move knowledge and science forward or fundamentally does it almost like make things harder? not better for us. And I think the really exciting thing for us and also partnering with Syntropy is doing this the right way, knowledge grounded, promoting knowledge. I mean, like experts, they, they thrive on quality. Like our physicians and our researchers, they just really strive. They want the knowledge, they want the quality. So let's go with that grain. So the parting thought is, yeah, we're in this AI era and really there's kind of two, there's two ways forward. One is knowledge grounded, one is not. And we're really here as a stand for the knowledge grounded way. Thank you, Carl. Appreciate that. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you, Carl. I think in terms of like in this age of creative machines that we're in with generative AI right now in particular, human experts are more important than they, they've right. ever been before. And, and the quality of information that we use is, is more and more important than it has ever been before. And creating those mechanisms to establish quality of scientific information that are being updated, that we know where they came from, that they weren't generated from some, some place, but they are authentically linked to some real thing in the real world, uh, becomes more and more important every day. And there aren't shortcuts to it, but it, it's certainly solvable. And I, I have immense faith in humanity to be able to do that. That's fantastic. Look, really appreciate you guys jumping on. Folks, this is a conversation, right? So we're going to post this on social. You'll listen to this. We'll give you some snippets. I encourage discussion in the comment section of our LinkedIn posts because I want to hear what you guys think. So let's stir the pot. Give us your thoughts. I, I definitely want to see where this one goes. James, Carl, really appreciate it. And hey, the, so the last question here is where can people find you? Where do you want them to, to learn more about you and the work that you do? Cinchpea.com, as well as our, our social channels. You can reach out anytime on any of those and we'd love to be in touch. Yeah. And for us, evidium.com and social channels too. Yeah. We would love to, yeah, we'd love to, we just love the collaboration. Love it guys. Folks, thanks for tuning in. Uh, as always, check out the show notes for ways to get in touch with James and Carl, check out their companies. Welcome to the page to, to start a discussion on LinkedIn and Carl, James, thank you guys for being with us today. Hey, thank you. It was great. Thank you so much. 